and that we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of pure frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory networks. You know what? Hi everybody, welcome back. It's Jenny with another Sensory Matters show and today I am joined by Helen. Hi Helen. Hi. How's you? Um, all right, thank you very much. Good, excellent. So Helen, a lot of you will know, she's a regular contributor within our um, Sensory Support Group and on the page. So um, I think you'll all be interested to hear what Helen's got to say because she's a family with um, a whole host of diagnosis so tell us a bit about your family setup to begin with and then the other thing we're going to talk about is the fact that she's got an owner trained assistance dog yeah so our family um husband and wife kevin and helen and then we've got two children Aoife and Braden. um when Braden was very young i realized that he wasn't quite the same as Aoife. now i only really had Aoife to compare him to um, not really, not realizing at the time that she was also um, autistic, uh, but I knew there was something just a bit different about Braden. Right. Through years and years of trying to get a diagnosis for him of autism, um, we eventually got a diagnosis through the Complex Neurodevelopmental Disorder Service. Uh, the the normal CAMS and SIPs didn't quite know what to do with him because he is a complex child. Okay. Um, so whilst going through this process, I thought, hmm. He's quite similar to me in a fair few ways. Mm-hmm. This would make sense if I was autistic too. So we did some research into that, um, right. went through the assessment process for me. Uh, and lo and behold, I'm also aut- autistic. Um, obviously, it is a genetic condition. Yeah. Um, after I received my diagnosis, I thought, oh, Aoife, she has a lot of sensory issues. Mm-hmm. She's very socially isolated um and I it was like a light bulb moment we were sitting there at dinner one night and it, it takes you for about an hour to eat a meal um and it's so frustrating so this is an 11 year old child we're not talking a toddler um yeah and every day it's hurry up Aoife finish your dinner finish your dinner keep eating Aoife um and then I, I basically sat there at dinner one night and looked at her while she was eating and I just said to her Aoife why why does it take you so long to eat your dinner and she burst into tears um, and she can't cope with the feel of things on her tongue. Right. She can't cope with the textures of food. And it was a, a bit of a light bulb moment, but the guilt that came with that light bulb moment, um, yeah. because Brayden's so complex, he is so full on. He's a 24-7 child. Um, he can't be left alone at all. He climbs out of windows, things like that. Um, right. She's just been overshadowed by him. So as much as she's always had these issues, because they aren't as severe as Brayden's, um, she's just been expected to get on with it. And she's done an amazing job of just getting on with it. Yeah. Um, until recently, I would say. And now things are just too much for us. So, yeah, so that's the kids. Um, once Braden had his diagnosis, things still didn't seem to fit just right. So all the strategies that tell you to use with autistic children, um, all, the, all the routine things, nothing was quite the perfect fit for Braden. And that's when someone suggested um, about PDA, pathological demand avoidance. Yeah. Read up on PDA and thought, oh, my word, that's my son. 
it <laughs> it was um it really did describe him perfectly so then we had to go back through the system um eventually we received a diagnosis of ASD with a PDA behavior profile um and i think it's important and i think everyone with PDA says the same it's important to have that in writing um because you do use different strategies um they use different strategies in school with Braden as they were to compared to what they would do with the other children um right. because it is it's quite a complex quite a complex diagnosis um and you've got to be there's a lot of reverse psychology involved shall we say um you've always got to try and be one step ahead and then but he's a, he's a clever kid so he'll just turn around and say oh you, you're trying to trick me well yeah I am actually but obviously hasn't worked um so yeah diagnosis wise that's where we are with uh, sort of the neurodiversity sign they've, they've also got um other issues they've both got uh, chronic kidney disease um they've both got hypermobile joints which obviously goes very well with being autistic um yeah. and Bryn's just been diagnosed with vitiligo at the end of the summer holidays so that was something different as well just to what? you know oh. um it's where your body um it's an autoimmune thing where your body fights against the pigment in your skin so he is developing white patches on his skin so it's more noticeable in colored people um michael jackson supposedly had it um before he started bleaching his skin and all the weird stuff um yeah you, yeah, you develop white patches and eventually if you said my mum's actually got it so so we've seen it obviously as we've grown up we've just been used to it um yeah. but my mum's skin now is just pure white apart from she's got a few little blobs maybe the size of fingernails which are a sort of normal skin color so she's more wow. or less got no pigment left apart from these couple of little spots but wow. Ben's got some he's got like big white patches on his knees um he's got one on his tummy he's got a few on his back they don't bother him and Braden is dressed head to toe in black permanently so we're never going to have the problem of the sunlight and because his skin with there being no pigment they burn really easily and the skin's extremely sensitive so this right. you know it, it just keeps us on our toes just something else to consider when yeah. we're you know, just our daily lives quite hectic um yeah but we've got to ensure that at all times if he's out he's got to have some block on really so. so how how old were the kids when they got their diagnoses so Braden would have been when well, it was twenty sixteen. So Braden was seven. Mm-hmm. Um but I knew from being tiny that that he was obviously different. Um Aoife only received the diagnosis at eleven year old. She just received it um I think it was the beginning of June this year. Right. And up until that point Aoife had coped really well. Um in mainstream, obviously we knew she was socially isolated, had a few issues. But once hormones kicked in for Aoife, um, all her sensory issues became really, really heightened. They, right. um, She's become extremely sensitive to sound. She can't cope with noise at all. Um, obviously, a taste situation, the textures, we, we've had a, a lot, an ongoing problem with. But I think everyone socially at school moved on and Aoife hasn't been able to move on. Um yeah, so it's it's a bit of a tricky time for Aoife at the moment. Yeah. And what about you? How old were you when you got your diagnosis then? I was 39. Okay. Um, I've always... It was, it was an amazing thing, getting my diagnosis. But it took about nine months afterwards to actually come to terms with it. I was 39 when I received my diagnosis. Um, I 
had a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Um, I've had mental health issues for as long as I can remember. Um, when I first realised I was autistic too, when I started doing some research, a lot of females have been misdiagnosed with BPD who are actually yeah. autistic. Um, and the more I looked into it, I thought, this, this is me. That diagnosis has never sat right with me. Um, right. Because as far as I was concerned, I was different before. Like board, um, BPD usually is triggered by some sort of childhood trauma, which I did have childhood trauma, but um, I was different before that childhood trauma. So as much as, yes, I do fit the criteria, there's still something because I was different beforehand, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so when I went for my diagnosis, um, they always had to go through all my mental health issues and things just to make sure that it wasn't a borderline personality and that it was autism. Um, after I received my diagnosis, it was about nine months of replaying every single conversation I've had um, everything I've done it was all I'd be doing something and it'd be like oh my word remember when I said such and such um it just it, it brought back so many things but things started to make sense and eventually about nine ten months after that diagnosis I accepted me for being me um I'd spent yeah. 39 years trying to be the person that everyone else wanted me to be tried to fit in tried to tried to be like everyone else I suppose and then I realized actually I'm like this for a reason and I quite like it um and I think I'm happier now at 41 than I've ever been um because I'm me and there's nothing I can really do to change that and I've accepted it um it was quite it's quite a nice feeling to be honest yeah good excellent I know I know that well everyone I talk to you know finds the diagnosis a real um, relief and positive experience in the main. So, yeah, absolutely. That's a fab. Okay, so obviously life is busy and hectic, and um, at some point you've just you've kind of decided that an assistance dog might be helpful, um, but you've gone down a, a slightly different route. So do you want to tell us about your, your dog and what you're doing and yes, yes. how that came about? Um when Bryn was first diagnosed with autism, as I said before, it was done through the complex team. Um, we were advised by the hospital to get a dog. Um, so we spent a long time researching the breed of dog and then researching breeders because I needed a breeder who had experience with autism. Um, because We had one chance of getting this right. It's a very expensive thing to do and then it go wrong. Uh, so we settled on a breed, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. It was either going to be a Labrador um, retriever type, which are the typical yeah. assistance dog type. Um, I will say at this stage, we weren't thinking assistance dog. We were thinking pet dog, trying to make life nicer for Braden. Um, yeah. So we eventually settled on the breed, the Cavalier, and we found a breeder who um, was a teacher. So he had experience of working with autistic kids. Uh, spoke to him and it was lovely and he was exactly like a proper breeder should be um, our dog, the parents the grandparents, everyone's fully health tested because um, obviously Cavalier they are prone to health conditions uh, but it's come from good breeding stock so it's not saying you won't have these conditions but we've, we've got mm -hmm. a better chance uh, of not having them for a long time yet 
Um, he spoke about 15 minutes about Braden wanting to know the ins and outs of everything before he would even discuss his dogs with me. Um, he needed to know that his dog was going to a good home. And for me, that, that makes a big difference because he wasn't just, well, obviously we've all heard of puppy farms and yeah. you've seen dogs up for sale on Gumtree and whatever. Um, this person doesn't advertise his dogs. He has a waiting list for people wanting his dogs. He's, he's like an established breeder. So when he eventually started talking about his dogs, he said he had two in his litter that could possibly be suitable. So he knew at that stage which of his litter would be suitable to work with Braden just as a pet. Um, so I, th and I think that's quite important because he could have just sold me any puppy, mm -hmm. but it might not have been the right dog for us. So we took the kids around. At this point, I will add, Aoife was absolutely petrified of dogs. Aww. She didn't want a dog. She was really, really scared. She was really worried about it. So we went round and these two puppies came to meet us in the lounge of this man's house. And Sherlock, as he as he's called, um, came and chose Braden. So that was lovely. Um, so that was brilliant. Aoife touched him, was a bit scared, but you know, she was she was okay. Um, so a few days later, transaction done, we pick up this puppy, bring him home, and then the problem started because every time that dog touched Braden, Braden had to take his clothes off and change his clothes. Wow. Yeah. So Braden's now been assessed for OCD. So that it, it all rings true now when you think back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so every time he touched the dog, he had to then go and change his clothes because the dog had been on him. So that was a bit tricky. So it was a bit worrying, thinking, well, have we done the right thing? We've just spent an absolute fortune on this puppy um, for him and he can't touch him without taking his clothes off. So after not very long, I would say a couple of weeks, Braden had a meltdown. He was laid on the floor and he was just coming out of his meltdown and the dog just went and sat on his head. Um, obviously, it was tiny. Um, and we were like, wow, that's really good because we'd heard about the connection and, yeah. and the connection that animal like dogs can have with an autistic child. Um, so it was quite, we were quite excited at this point thinking this could work. Eventually, the the change in the claws thing sort of subsided. Right. Um, so we're feeling quite positive at this point. So we got the dog, I would say, maybe end of June, beginning of July time, so towards the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. During the six weeks holidays, um, a school mum popped around to our house. Now, this is a person who'd said good morning to Braden every day for three years, and he was just blank, couldn't communicate with her at all. She popped around to her to our house. Braden had Sherlock on his knee, and he voluntarily spoke to this woman. And we were just gobsmacked. Wow! wow. The confidence that that dog brought him was was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, it was, like, it was sort of. Um, I don't know. We were we were just gobsmacked. I don't I don't really know what else I can say about that. We were gobsmacked yeah. because people tell you that that they have this connection and they can make such a difference but yeah. I think until you actually live that I don't think you would quite believe the difference it would make um yeah. so that was when we first thought this was a good this was the proper decision this was a good decision we've made the right decision um so fast forward quite a long time we didn't we did a bit of puppy training and um 
things have generally been all right, but then we go through periods where Bryn's been a bit too hands-on with the dog. Um, and the dog started to... Um, he doesn't react to Brayden. If Brayden's got hold of him, he stays perfectly still until he's got my command to leave. So even if I've, even if we pull Brayden's arms off him so the dog's free to go, he still won't leave him until he's got my command. And he did that automatically. Um, and then as Brayden's having... If Brayden's having a meltdown, like I think more in shutdown, if he's in shutdown, if Brayden's laid on the floor in shutdown or curled up in the fetal position, which is pretty common. Um, Sherlock would go in and he'd start licking his face to bring him round, do things like that. Wow. And I thought, wow, this is, th this could be something here. They, they have got a nice bond. He's very sensitive. Same as me. If I'm struggling, he's at my side. He knows exactly where I am. If Aoife has a meltdown, he's there and he licks her face. But our, our main concern really is Brynn because of how complex he is. Mm. Um, so we started looking into assistance dogs. The main charities, um, there's only two charities that will offer autism assistance dogs. Now, the problem with this is the waiting lists are always shut because obviously everyone wants one. Um, and they will only place a dog if the child is under 10 year old. Oh, really? Now, bear in mind, Braden's now 10. Um, mm -hmm. It wouldn't, you're a bit stuck. There's no service, there's no charity that offers. Um, autism assistance dogs for, for adults. Now, obviously, I'm still autistic as an adult. Um, Brayden's still going to be autistic as an adult, and we're still going to need this this service. Um, so that's when I started looking into owner-trained assistance dogs. Now, then it gets really complicated. The law's really sketchy. Um, it, can, it can be interpreted in different ways. Um, and there's lots of people out there who will say, give me your money. Yeah. And we'll give you a vest and say you're an assistance dog. But that's not how I wanted to do it. No. Um, we started looking into it and thinking, how can we do this? How can we do it where it's financially viable? Because it's an expensive business having a dog to start with. It's even more expensive when you have to start thinking you need public liability insurance. Um, he needs to be trained to uh, whatever level you decide to train him to. He needs public access training. Um so we looked into some companies that would basically help you train your dog. Um, am I allowed to name them on here, Jenny? Yeah, of course. But I tell you what, before we go down that route, let's take a quick break and then you can tell me the next part. Do you know someone who struggles to sit still or needs help with proprioception and balance? The inflatable wobble cushion is now available from our website perfect for working on balance, proprioception and encouraging active sitting. Get yours now from our website www.chewygem.co.uk. Now back to the podcast. Okay welcome back. So before the break we were chatting Helen was explaining about how um, an assistance dog and the charities that do it just are not really available for her family at that point so started looking at owner trained assistance dogs and how to go about that and all the complexities around that and different organizations that can help with that so that's where we were so you started looking at some of these companies um we did um 
And the companies that seemed available all seemed to be quite new, which rang alarm bells for me. Um, I'm a very cynical sort of person. Um, I do like to see a bit of a track record and I need to know that it's getting done properly. So I thought, well, we'll look into them. So we looked at one called Cal Autism Assistance Dogs. Okay. Now I'd seen someone, um, the group Fighting Inequality for Girls on the Spectrum. There's a, they've got a Facebook page, things like yeah. that. Um, someone on there had just started training their puppy with this company. So I thought, right, I'm going to look into that. That, that sounds really good, although obviously ours isn't a puppy. Um, at this point, he was mm, two and a half, something like that. Uh, so I contacted these people, found out what they were all about. And basically what they do is they offer training sessions in whatever area and um, they let you have a vest with their details on so you look official and eventually they'll say you're at, you're at such and such a standard so you can work in public. All right, well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, that sounds something like what I was thinking we'd be doing. So I contacted them and they said, we don't have any trainers in your area at the moment. Um, leave it with me and we'll get back to you. We'll see if we can find a trainer locally that can help you. All right, brilliant. When I looked into the pricing of it, these people wanted to charge me £45 a month for the life of my dog. Wow. I thought, wow, that's a lot of money, especially considering they don't actually have a trainer near me. So left it at that. Um, and I went to a, a company local to me, which is where we'd um, gone for Sherlock's puppy training. He also goes there for, he goes swimming there and he goes, um, he goes to get his groom there as well. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to the manager of there one night and I was telling her what we were planning on doing with her. And she said, oh, is it, is it with something called Cal? So funnily enough, I have been in touch with them. She said, oh, yeah, they've contacted us. I said, right. She said, what they want to do is they want to, um, they want us to assess your dog to see whether he's um, got the right temperament to be an assistance dog. So I said, oh, just out of interest, how much were they going to pay you to do that? She said, £20. I said, do you want to know how much they wanted to charge me for that? Mm. Not how much. £100. So this company was basically going to take £80 and yes. the company local to me was only going to get £20. So I was like, right, well, well that, that rings alarm bells. Don't really like the sound of that. So I said, well, what were they offering? Did they mention the training and things? And she said, yes, basically, we were expected to sit our um, Kennel Club Bronze, Silver and Gold Awards and um, do some public access work. But what they wanted uh, my local place to do was come out every three months to my house and make sure that Sherlock was still at standard. I said, all right, okay. And how much are they going to give you for that? Again, £20. And I thought, they're charging me £45 a month to wear this vest. And the people who are actually going to, it's me still going to do the work because I'm training him. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get £20 for coming to my house to see that he can do these things. I just thought, no way. Mm. It's just, it's a money-making, honestly, well, to me, it feels like a money-making scam. This company might be good for some people, but for me, it was alarm bells. Mm -hmm. Um, So we looked into another company. We looked into one called Sherlock Hounds. Now, obviously, we all really like the name of it because my dog's called Sherlock. Yeah. I thought, right, don't don't go just for that reason, Helen, don't. Because sometimes I do get a bit carried away with myself. Um, but their communication was really slow. Um, 
which to me wasn't professional. Um, I like a company to be professional. Like, really, you should get back to me within 24 hours, 48 hours, not two weeks. Um, so I decided against them. They were a lot more realistic price-wise. They didn't charge you a monthly fee. They charged you a joining fee. Um, you had to prove to them that you'd passed your kennel club bronze before they would let you put a vest on. And then you had to have passed your silver before you did any um, public access work, things like that. So I thought, well, that the way they're training, obviously we'd still be training ourselves and we'd just provide them with the, the documents to say we'd passed these levels. I thought, well, that makes a lot more sense. But obviously, me being me, I couldn't go with them because they were too slow in communicating and it wasn't professional enough. Mm -hmm. um, so at this point, I had a conversation with the manager at my pet stock, which is who we use, um, explained exactly what was going on, explained about these different companies and said, look, if I do my training through yourselves, can you provide me with a bit of paper at the end to say that Sherlock's at such a standard? I said, mm -hmm. yeah, of course. So then we start to get a bit excited. Hmm. Um, we designed a vest. Uh, it was designed between myself and my pet stock. Um, so it looks very professional. Um, it looks it looks the part. You see a lot of assistance, owner-trained assistance dogs and people just stick a little Velcro patch in assistance dog on the side of their dog's harness and things. Yeah. And it doesn't look professional. But unfortunately, because of the law, people can get away with this. Um, there isn't an actual public access test. There's no test to say that your dog's at standard. There's no um, there's no registry of owner-trained assistance dogs in the UK. The people who are um, done through charities have a register and they've got um, official documentation to say that they're trained to this standard through such and such charities, but there is nothing like that for owner-trained assistance dogs. So... So okay. just, just so I understand, the advantage yeah. of having all of this paperwork, <coughs> excuse me, um, and, and getting it signed off that this is a trained assistance dog at the right level, yeah. means what? Means that you can take Sherlock wherever you like? Yeah, so by law, um, an assistance dog can have access to just about anywhere. Um, you can't go into a sterile environment, so you can't go into... Um, like a treatment room at a doctor's or it can go into like a normal doctor's surgery room. Um, it can't go into an operating theatre unless there's been some major negotiation done beforehand. Mm -hmm. It can't go into schools without permission of the head teacher. Um, but it can go to any businesses. If I have to go into a business or if I need to go to a shop, he can come with me by law. Um, and they can't discriminate, sorry, they can't discriminate against us with him not being a charity. Now, not being a charity trained dog. Now, this is where the problems are starting because um, a lot of companies will say that um, he's not ADA UK registered, so therefore he can't come in. Right. Now, the, that's the people who run the, the charity. They sort of have an overview of all the charities. That's the big register people. Um, now, by law, under the Equality Act 2010, He's got to be allowed because he mitigates my disability and he mitigates Brin's disability. Um, they can't differentiate just because he's not through one of these charities. So a lot of the problems that owner-trained people are having these days are um, explaining the law to people 
as they're going out and about. Now, if you're someone like me who's got mental health problems and is also autistic, that can be a bit tricky. Mm -hmm. So for me, having documentation that says he's at such and such a level, um, if I got confronted, I could just hand that over. I could show them the law and that it doesn't matter that he's not from one of these charities. And I could show them a piece of paper stating that he's at um, a sufficient standard to to be in public access and to do this work. Um, so that's great. But people interpret the law in a different way, in different ways. Um, so there's a lot of hoo-ha about whether um, you can take your dog into places whilst it's still in training um, or whether it has to be fully trained before you can take it into places. Um, previously, it's been believed, because the law is so sketchy, it's been believed that the dog has to be fully trained before it can access um, like public places. But currently, it's been interpreted as it doesn't matter whether it's still a puppy, it doesn't matter if it's in training, if it's, it's you that has the right to go into a shop, not the dog, and if that dog is your auxiliary aid, if that's if it's mm -hmm. mitigating your disability, then it's you that has the right to take it in. It's nothing to do with um, the dog having a right to be there. It's about you having a right as a disabled person. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a different way of thinking, and I and I think um, it's taking a bit for people to get the heads around it. Yeah. Um, but do do companies actually check? You know, if I turned up at the cinema with my dog with a harness that said assistance dog would I be stopped and asked you're not going to be stopped it's very rare that you'd be stopped and this is a good thing and a bad thing because they can't be seen to discriminate against you um yeah. they also can't ask too many questions about um your disability because that's discriminative yeah so shops um cinemas restaurants are in a bit of a tricky position I personally would welcome some sort of register to say that owner trained assistance dogs are at a standard because mm -hmm. then it would stop these people um I know of a person who has done exactly as you've just said basically bunged an assistance dog sticker on the side of the harness mm. and takes the dog here there and everywhere um and allows it to urinate well once Sherlock's got his vest on and he's working um, mm -hmm. He has to toilet on command. Right. So he goes to the toilet when I give him the opportunity to go to the toilet. He doesn't just, he's not allowed to just cock his leg as he walks along. Mm -hmm. um, he's got to obviously stay close by. He's not allowed to react to other dogs. He's not allowed to react to people. Um, which he, he's doing really well. Considering he's not fully trained yet, he is doing brilliantly. But I do know of a person recently who does just basically bung a sticker on the side and take a dog anywhere. But no one can really question it. That's insane, isn't it? It's absolute madness. And it really, really annoys me. Um, I like rules. We're doing it this way. We're doing it our way. We're making sure to a certain standard. Um, like Sherlock didn't put his vest on and didn't do any public access work until he passed his Kennel Club Gold Award. And when, when the training centre first said to me, you won't be wearing a vest until then, I was like, ooh, ooh I really want his vest on. Um, because obviously I was so proud of him and I was itching to do it and I just wanted <coughs> to get on with it. But as time progressed and as we went through the different training um, 
for the for these different certificates for these different awards um it became more and more apparent that it was the right thing to do to wait um so the things that they cover in those obviously your basic obedience and your basic recall and can they sit and can they lie down on command and things like that um it's all of that but it also your kennel club stuff in, includes things like getting in and out of cars safely and um walking nicely with distraction things like that um so as we've gone through the training it's I'll, I've come to terms with the fact, yeah, this is the right way of doing it. But unfortunately, not everyone has the same sort of mindset as me. Yeah. Um, and it is insane, as you say, like the, people can just rock up anywhere and say it's some assistance dog and get away with it. It's horrible. Yeah. Wow. So what 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 do you think the solution is? Like, I mean, um, like more regulations needed, or I, I do think more regulations needed, and I I think it's a bit of a um, a touchy subject with some of the owner trained people. I have spoken to someone who I know is an affiliate of Chewy Gem, uh, Ruby Wellsford. Uh-huh. Um, she is a dog trainer. She has her own owner trained assistance dog. Um, she's also autistic. Um, and I think she's very much like me. People need to be at a certain standard. They need to be dressed appropriately. So by law, I mean, he doesn't even need a vest on by law to work as an mm-hmm. assistance dog. But I think... Common sense tells you you're going to get a lot further if you've got one on. Yes. Um, there should be some sort of registry. When when I was talking to Ruby and we were looking into these things, um, and I started, I was on a Facebook group of, of owner-trained assistance dogs, and a lot of people don't have public liability insurance. I'm thinking mm-hmm. that's really, really weird. So if I go out and Sherlock does react and, and trips a security guard over in Tesco, then... Mm-hmm. I need to have public liability insurance. So people will be like, oh, well, we've got third-party liability with our pet plan or whatever. But that doesn't cover a working dog. No. Um, it almost I think needs to be at least... Ju- Sorry. Yeah, it needs to be like having a driving licence. Like there's an organisation that, whether it's charity or owner-assisted, you submit your kennel club documentation to say you're at a standard you submit your certificate to prove you've got public liability insurance all of those things and only when those things are ticked do you get issued with like a credit card type thing that you show wherever you go and companies then learn and expect people to be able to produce that to say look and this this sounds fine I yeah. agree. And it doesn't have to cost it doesn't have to cost someone a lot of money. Now we've put a lot of time and effort into our training. Um it's not cheap doing your kennel club things, but I think it's something like each award was something between sixty five and eighty five pounds. So there's mm-hmm. three awards to do. Long term, that yep. that's not a lot of money. It's an awful lot better than paying forty five pounds a month to wear someone else's vest and still have to do that same training. Yeah. Um we've done other drop-in sessions and we do have the odd one-to-one because obviously he's doing some tasks so he's getting trained to lie on Braden's chest if he's on the floor um he burrows his way in and like licks his face obviously as we've said he puts deep pressure therapy on his chest on his knees if he's sat down um he's getting trained my left leg bounces a lot when my anxiety levels increase right so as my left leg starts to bounce sometimes I'm not aware of this what the plan is, is we're going to train Sherlock to know that and he will alert to that. Wow. So then I can think, hang on a minute, I'm getting too anxious, I need to step back or yeah. you know, take a break. Um, it's all manageable things. So another problem with the the whole 
assistance dog thing is um, some people will say that the dog has to perform three tasks. Um, but by law, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to perform any tasks mm. as long as he mitigates your disability. Now, for Braden, when that person came around to our house and he could speak because he had his dog with him, yeah, that mitigates his disability. Yeah. If we can go out for a meal because the dog's under the table at Braden's feet, yeah, and we can sit and have a family meal, then that dog mitigates his disability. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes Braden will be under the table with the dog. Well, the other, well, us three sit and eat, but we yes. can go out as a family and do that. So straight away, that dog is performing a task without it being a task. Yeah. So he doesn't need to do this deep pressure therapy. He doesn't need to alert to, to anxiety, but he's going to. The other yeah. thing that's going to be a bit different about Sherlock, he's going to work for both of us. So I'll still be his main handler as the adult, um, and he will perform these things for Braden, but he's also going to be an assistance dog for myself. Yeah. Um. So for the last couple of months, I have regular appointments uh, with a psychiatric nurse, and she's always come to the house. And she broke her foot recently, and it was all very traumatic. But it meant I had to go to um to the hospital for my appointments. Now, anxiety wise, it just crippled me. Um, I couldn't cope with the click, uh, the the top tocks clocks ticking. Um, I couldn't cope with the people, the smells. It was just horrendous. Mm. And then I phoned her up one morning and said, I'm bringing my dog with me. So at this point, he didn't have his vest on. Um, he, was get, he was doing his gold award at the time, so he was he was almost at a standard. Um, and she said, it's absolutely fine. They emailed around so everyone knew there was going to be a dog in the building um, and stuff because one of the consultants is absolutely petrified of dogs. Um, and I went to that appointment and I sat on the floor with Sherlock in that appointment and it was the least anxious I've ever been in, wow. in an appointment. It was amazing. Um, and at that point, we thought, hang on, he can work for me as well. So we did a bit of research again. I spoke to Ruby again and said, is this possible? Can he work for two people? And yeah. said, yeah, as long as you're not overworking him, which he's not an overworked dog, because obviously Bryn and I are both quite socially isolated. We're autistic. We don't really do a lot of people. Um, so he's not going to get overworked. Um, we don't go out because Braden can't cope with the demands of going out with, with having PDA. Um, so I think a lot of it's common sense as well. We're not expecting him. He's not doing a physical job particularly. Yes, he mm -hmm. does provide deep pressure therapy, but um, he is more than capable of doing the work that both of us require. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I've got, before we finish up, I've got kind of like three questions that I'm looking for kind of like three sort of tips or punchy answers on so right. the first one would be what if if you kind of like what what three things should people be thinking like I could what three triggers would make someone think an assistance dog might be good for me you know how would they know how would they be able to identify an assistance dog could work for themselves so do you need a dog for medical alert so is it a medical issue? Um, some people's dogs um, alert to diabetes. Um, some alert to anxiety. Pots where your heart rate rises very quickly. Things like that. Some people have dogs yeah. that. Do you need that? Is it for emotional support? Um, can it provide? Can it provide something that's going to allow you to go out or do do a task that you couldn't do without that dog? 
Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, what about the sort of three best things that have happened to you since having Sherlock trained as an assistance dog? What three major benefits does it give you? We can go out as a family because if Brynn's got his dog with him, life is better. Yeah. Um, it's giving us access um, to places that we can't normally go. Mm-hmm. And it's been an amazing bonding experience for Braden and Sherlock. Um, they recently had a swimming lesson together. So oh. it was a dog swimming lesson. And I have never seen such sheer delight on that boy's face in, well, in his 10 years. It was just sheer joy being in the pool with his dog. Brilliant. Really good. And then um, what about the kind of biggest myths surrounding all of this? I mean, we've touched on a lot of them, but if you if you kind of had like a final message for everyone, kind of. Biggest myth-, myth, I think, is that because it's not from one of the charities, it doesn't have the same rights. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is the is by far the biggest myth. Yeah. Okay. And what about so if people want to start looking at because it's it's not like you said you don't have to get a puppy and start from scratch. Maybe if you've got a dog now, you could look at whether they're suitable for being trained as an assistance dog. So where Absolutely. do people start? Um. So you need to know that it's got the right temperament. Yeah. Um. It can't react to other dogs. It can't react to people when you're out. So if you've got a dog that barks at everything, it's, it's unlikely to make the best assistance dog, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's got to be the right size for whatever task you want it to do. So if you want it to help with mobility, you do not get a Cavalier you yeah. know, or a Chihuahua. You need to get something that's big. You need a giant breed or a Labrador above. Um, it's got to be, if you're looking at mobility, it's got to be a certain percentage of the owner's weight okay um uh, fully grown because it's got to be able to support you without damaging the dogs obviously it's a um it's a working dog um i think find a good trainer i think i can't really a force free trainer you don't want one of these that still uses prongs and and punishes it for not doing what you want you need a a dog that um, you need a trainer that can work with you, that understands you. We're, we're quite lucky. The trainer that we found and that we're using um, has an autistic sister and nephew and probably an autistic daughter, if we're honest. So yeah. um, so I think it's good that yeah, someone someone that you can work with, because yeah. especially for the likes of me, because I'm not really keen on people and it takes me a lot to trust someone. Uh, obviously you do build up quite a relationship because we've been working now since I think about February um, with Sherlock like in training Um, so we do spend a lot of time on it and we do have that relationship with with our trainer Brilliant, it sounds amazing and and it's made a real difference to you and your family definitely Oh definitely yes So thank you very much for sharing your experience and your story, I would say obviously Helen is in the group um, so once a podcast is out and it's posted in the group then feel free to you know comment and and I'm sure Helen will welcome answering any questions you might have Oh absolutely yes So yeah brilliant I uh, I think I follow Sherlock's page he's got a page hasn't he? He has got a page yes Sherlock the assistance dog he's he's got an Instagram page and a Facebook page Um, Yeah but yeah, by all means, uh, give me a shout, ask any questions you like. 
because it's becoming I've got to say it has become a bit of a special interest of mine yeah. um we've been that involved with it and it's been that full on it, it, it sort of is taking over my life if I'm honest <laughs> yeah I love but it though. in a good way yeah oh definitely yes yeah absolutely there's a lot of benefit to it well thank you very much Helen that's been really really interesting and I'm sure you'll get lots of questions on it brilliant thank okay thank you for your time Well, that's it for this week. And thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds, then go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps other people find our content. And we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews. So go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. Also, so that you never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available why not hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss us finally if you're not already a member of our fantastic facebook support group i suggest you go join it we'd love to see you in there there's loads of fantastic chat lots of peer-to-peer support from people in the same boat as you so go and search on facebook for the chewy gem sensory support group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes speak to you then bye